Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. One of my abiding pet peeves is the way people rush to social media to express condolences every time a famous person dies. Never mind that condolences these days seem intended more to draw attention to those expressing them than to comfort those who should be receiving them. But this ritual merely reflects our culture's morbid fascination with celebrity. A ritual, I must confess, I used to participate in too. Except that, instead of narcissistic tweets on social media, I rushed to publish laudatory tributes on my blog. And even then, I only began doing so as a lark to propagate the superstition that the deaths of famous people come in threes. But, I decided nearly a decade ago that, no matter how altruistic their nature, publishing tributes as a lark reeked of disrespect. And so I began publishing them to mark the deaths only of famous people who made pioneering or extraordinary contributions to mankind. People like Sidney Poitier, whose death announcement was going viral, just as I was coming in to record this episode. He happens to have been the most famous citizen of my native country, the Bahamas. So, as a point of personal privilege, I hope you don't mind if I digress for a moment to note that he was the pioneering star of such classics as Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, and Lilies of the Field, for which he became the first black actor to win an Oscar. But if it were up to black folks, he would have won that Oscar for they call me Mr. Tibbs, <laughs> from In the Heat of the Night, in 1967. And the clincher for them would have been that scene. It featured Poitier as Detective Virgil Tibbs, questioning a rich former plantation owner down in Mississippi about a murder. Indignant had the nerve of this uppity black questioning him, the white man slaps Tibbs feebly. But even more indignant at the nerve of this crotchety white man disrespecting him, the black Tibbs slaps him back fiercely. Muhammad Ali famously claimed 
that he shocked the world by knocking out Sonny Liston to become heavyweight champion a few years earlier, in 1964. But with that slap heard around the world, Poitiers not only shocked the world, but imbued black folks with pride that rivaled the pride felt when Rosa Parks shocked the world by refusing to go to the back of that bus in 1955. Poitiers personified Hollywood talent, human grace, and black pride. When I think of the halcyon days of old Hollywood, he easily upstages the likes of Humphrey Bogart, Gregory Peck, and yes, even Spencer Tracy. That said, I fully appreciate that definitions of pioneering and extraordinary contributions to mankind may differ, and the seemingly unusual number of famous people who died in 2021 presents fertile ground for endless debate in this respect. Surely among those who deserve honourable mention in no particular order, are Larry Flint, Anne Rice, Cicely Tyson, Ken Cragen, Bob Dole, Hal Holbrook, Stephen Sondheim, Christopher Plummer, Larry King, Walter Mondale, Hank Aaron, Bell Hooks, Al Unser, Yafet Cotto, Vicente Fernandez, F.W. de Klerk, John Madden, Harry Reed, and Betty White. But I pay tribute only to three, namely Vernon Jordan, Prince Philip, and Colin Powell. Today, albeit belatedly, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who died on December 26, makes four. Tutu, or the Arch, as many affectionately called him, was in the vanguard of the black liberation struggle to abolish apartheid and to end white rule in South Africa. And it's a testament to his defining role that everyone in that struggle hailed him as its moral compass and the conscience of their movement. But many of them would soon feel the wrath of his moral judgment, because it did not take long for Black Rule to expose far too many of Tutu's comrades as every bit as oppressive, venal, and heartless as the white rulers they ousted. And so, 
less than ten years after the end of apartheid. He was already publicly condemning black leaders for implementing policies to enrich themselves, while leaving the vast majority of blacks in the same demeaning and dehumanizing poverty they were mired in under apartheid. And I hasten to note that, unlike evangelical leaders in America, who spared the rod to ingratiate themselves with the spoiled man-child Donald Trump, Tutu did not, because he dared to publicly chastise no less a messiah-like figure than Nelson Mandela himself for having an open and notorious affair with Grasha Michel. Tutu thought it was dishonorable enough that he did not wait until his divorce from Winnie was final. But he felt the great Mandela was setting a bad example for South African children, and told him so. Interestingly enough, during a September 1996 interview with a Maputo newspaper, Michelle revealed that she and Mandela had already decided not to get married. But the effect of Tutu's chastisement was such that they got married in July 1998. Mind you, it did not hurt his moral authority at home that the Norwegian Committee awarded Tutu the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. After all, this made him not only the most respected, but the most powerful black South African for ten years before the advent of black rule in 1994. This is why Mandela tapped him to chair the country's famous Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But Tutu would be the first to confess that even though the commission succeeded, in preventing an avenging civil war, it did not succeed in building the rainbow nation he prayed for. Of course, along with his fight for democracy and human rights, including LGBTQ rights, Tutu's legacy is also distinguished by his fight for sustainable development and environmental protection. Never mind the head-scratching he caused when he called the belching danger of climate change the greatest moral challenge of our time. After all, the West decoupling from complicity in China's dystopian and genocidal policies seems a far greater moral challenge. For me, though, Tutu's most memorable moment came when South Africans faced their proverbial fork in the road. They had a choice between Tabo Mbeke, who wanted to govern a South Africa that emulated the best of European democracies, and Jacob Zuma, who wanted to rule a South Africa that aped 
the worst of African kleptocracies. Here is how I quoted Tutu pleading for them to take the road less travelled in Mbeke versus Zuma for ANC leadership on December 17, 2007. Please do not choose someone of whom most of us would be ashamed. Our country deserves better. We are worried that Zuma had relations with a woman who regarded him as a parent. And although he is very likable, we have to ask ourselves, what is happening in the ANC? End quote. Alas, what was happening is what Tutu's comrade and fellow Nobel laureate Nadine Godima famously lamented, and which I used as the title to a blog commentary on May 13, 2011. Namely, South Africa is betraying its values. Because, despite his earnest pleadings, South Africans chose the well-trodden road that has their country looking today like just another failed African state. You know, like Zimbabwe. Indeed, it speaks volumes that, far from their country being the beacon of hope for all Africans, South Africans are cursing their fate, that theirs is the longest trek of all to Europe, where many seem to think lies their only hope for a good life. As jovial a man as he was, I suspect Tutu died bemoaning his country's fate. He lived to see the end of Zuma's rule, of course. But, as the New York Times reported, Tutu was sufficiently worried that he invited Zuma's successor, Cyril Ramaphosa, to his home in mid-2018. This only to turn Ramaphosa's governing slogan of a new dawn on its head, as follows. Know that we pray regularly for you and your colleagues that this must not be a false dawn. End quote. As it happens, I could have spared Tutu the bother, because, apropos of forks, the title to my blog commentary from February 16, 2018, Greeting Ramaphosa's Presidency, made clear the Morton's Fork South Africans faced. It bemoaned, South Africa replaces corrupt Zuma with captured Ramaphosa. Clearly, given the financial scandals that have beset Ramaphosa's presidency, it's sad to say that Tutu died knowing it was in fact 
a false dawn. But he preached through it all, from black struggle under white apartheid, through black liberation and black rule, back through black struggle under black state capture, corruption and, to quote a famous British judge, political immorality and immaturity and general administrative incompetence. God bless the arch. I don't see how it's possible, but may he rest in peace. That's it. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.